we're back we're back but we're back we're back in separate places uh i don't want to be back i mean this isn't this isn't the optimal scenario jacob we're we're separated by a matter of states i don't like that jerome no, and we saw how it worked last time. We have to be able to touch each other during this. It's essential. <laughs> it's essential to the production of the show. From late June to early August, we took a 14,000-mile cross-country road trip to get away from the world. It brought us to 20 national parks, 33 states, 46 cities, and 43 national monuments, forests, memorials, grasslands, and recreation areas. So in each episode, we'll outline one of our stops, talk about the history of the place, our impressions, and a piece of dark history tea associated with it. It's going to be dramatic, scandalous, dare I say captivatingly funny, and hopefully it inspires your next trip in the United States. This is Road Boys with Jeremy and Jacob. Welcome to another episode of Road Boys. Road Boys, we're back. We are back, and as you heard in our separate, uh, you know, solitary confinement zones. Much like the coronavirus, we have made a full resurgence in our own domains. Yep, just like the coronavirus. (laughs) (laughs) How does it feel? Goodness, it feels so weird to be separate from you. I'm already devastated. I know, but. We did a lot when we were together. We certainly did. I mean, we did a lot, you know, like, as in a lot, a lot of like watching television. We did a lot of that. We watched so much television. We watched, we finished season four of The Crown. Yes. Um, always high, always, always high quality. Don't have any complaints there. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, actually. I A lot of people I know had said, like, it wasn't as good. They strayed yeah, it's from... good. It's as good. ...from things, but I really quite enjoyed season four, I have to say. Yeah, maybe the only gripe. Well, you know, you go, people can nitpick all they want. Um, you know, maybe Diana didn't look... You know, you said that she didn't look as, as like, as right. She did you know? not look like... The real princess die, but it's fine. <laughs> and they made, and they really did um, Margaret Thatcher dirty. Now I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Margaret Thatcher, that voice girl. That yes. voice. <laughs> it is a massive deterrence <laughs> from where we had started. Now it would be a surprise to people in that sh- you know who are unfamiliar unfamiliar with who she is that she died. Like in 2013, not long ago, she seemed like she was on the brink of death. <laughs> her portrayal, <laughs> her skeletal, <laughs> like the the facial expressions, yes. like what she, what the actress, I think it was Jillian Anderson, yeah. was doing with her mouth. I know. Like, oh my god, that was horrible. They couldn't have cast that worse. I think. <laughs> but all said and done, oh, I love that show. That's a great show. I feel so. It feels so high. You know, high entertainment. 
It's delightful. Yes, and the production value can't be beat, honestly. So cool. Now, if you want to go to the opposite end of the spectrum, yeah. we also, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up. We also finished Fargo season four. Uh, <laughs> listen to that intonation change there. Fargo season four. Oh, man, that was that was rough. That was that was a toughie. I didn't think that, you know, a, a couple months ago that we'd be sitting here speaking badly about a season of Fargo on the whole, maybe there was a couple episodes that would have been a downside of the of the season, but on the whole, it was bad, which is so shocking. It was horrible. I mean, I wouldn't even call it bad. Like it was bad, you know. Yeah, you know, it was. Yes, it was like bad television. It wasn't just bad for the standards um, of that show, which are high. But I think the mean, the average now is like, it's like you know, it's a it's a good, all right show, except for season four. Yeah, you got to discount that one from the, uh, what do you call it? The, the mix. The, 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 the overall. Canon. The yep. canon. Oh, yeah, the canon, of course, the canon. Oh, yes. speaking of canon, you know, we also watched, um, we also watched Pirates. Manda- oh, Pirates. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you have, yeah, we were thinking of two different Disney domains there. But yes, we watched Pirates. Pirates I loved Caribbean. it. I think I missed out an integral part of my childhood not watching those. I can't believe it because I was then. raised on those movies, Jeremy. I know uh, it's it's an odd thing. I don't know something about it. I, I scared easily as a child, um, <laughs> and you know, I I don't know if I was advised not to watch it or my parents were told not to have me watch it because there's some creepy things, you know. Well, but, I mean, that explains the intense screaming you were doing the entire time. Yeah, I was screaming a lot. Um, I got over that. Tons of screams. My vocal cords were, you know, were were shriveled up by the end of it, uh, by all three. But oh, I enjoyed them. I enjoyed them. I was, um, I, I was gonna say that, you know, once we got those, um, those movies in the bag, uh, we also watched Mandalorian. The yes episode that released the week that we were together, which I thought was by far and away the best of the season. Yes, that one was excellent, and then they immediately ruined it with the uh, this week's episode. <laughs> with Bill Burr's show my face, God, please help me show my you face. You know, <laughs> why is Bill Burr still a person we consider in the realm of cinema, in the realm of television, in the world of streaming? Why on earth is Bill Burr still around? That homophobic, racist piece <laughs> of shit does not belong anywhere in the medium of comedy and or drama. And you heard it here. I would hope not first. I mean, what Jacob said it should be widely considered to be true. But all you need is one person to consider you, and that person's probably John Favreau. <laughs> yeah, he was like, "Please, John, put me in your show. Hey, put me in the Fucking show, John." <laughs> bitch, like, get the fuck out. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect this character to come back and maybe he'll be in season three. Who knows? He'll just keep popping up like a, like a goddamn tack. In like the a side. disgusting <laughs> zit on your upper lip. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and watch anything else. So we're making our way through the West wing too. fantastic show. Yes. So, West wing. So we'll have a, we have a, that's like the gift that keeps on giving. We have so Syracuse much of that alum, show. Aaron Sorkin's gem. Yes, yes. Um, 
if you listen to our last week's episode, uh, we did cover our alma mater, and it's good to know that someone that uh, legendary comes from our school. Oh, absolutely. I mm-hmm. mean, there's lots of legends from Syracuse, but I think maybe my favorite is Aaron Sorkin. He's done so much good stuff. It's the one that our our communication school, I think they I think they think that our communication school, it's like the one that got away. Aaron Sorkin did not go to our communication school except he did have a career in television and play and like entertainment. Instead, he went to the Maxwell School, which is not for not for that. So I'm sure they were thinking <laughs> it's like it's we should have uh, got him. Public policy and affairs. Yes, pr- probably helped them write that show though. So can't complain. Yes, a gem of a show. So mm-hmm. that's what we were watching this week. And now we're here yes. uh, with exciting things in the future. The holidays coming up. Um, of course, the biggest holiday was yesterday as mm-hmm. we're recording this. I um, hope. Yep. Yep. I was just going to say. Birthday. Yes. I hope that everyone celebrated responsibly this year and that no one traveled. But if you did, you have to get tested immediately. Um, yes. Yes. Uh and otherwise, I hope you got your traveling in for Jacob's birthday because the remainder of the season, what else is there? Christmas? Who celebrates that? <laughs> it's Hanukkah, too. It's Hanukkah as well. Um, if you watch any CNN uh, or anything like that or watch like Wolf Blitzer, he's been ha- he's been wishing ha- happy Hanukkah left and right to every single one of his guests. It's nice. It's nice to hear. This is a key so Hanukkah alert. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melahalam. <laughs> yes. That's it's I mean last night we were blessed with the vaccine news. There's that. That's a Hanukkah gift. Yes, the vaccines around. Oh my god, there's a lot going on this week. So much going on. But Well, last week we were yeah. in Syracuse for our episode. Right. Uh, we we deviated. That was not a stop on our trip. Let me clarify that. The whole Uh, life's a road trip, Jacob. It was certainly a stop. I know you thought we went directly from Moab, Utah to uh, Syracuse, New York, and then Mm -hmm. to our next stop here, but that was not the case. No, Uh, no, no. In fact, we then from Moab started heading south to the great state of Arizona. Yes, the great state of Arizona. They um, really pulled through for us on November 3rd, but they mm-hmm. also pulled through for us sometime in mid-July when we went to Monument Valley. We passed through, but notable, the notable and beautiful Monument Valley in northeastern Monument Valley, Arizona. That's right. Um this this place is iconic. I, I I just I don't know if you know we got the full scope of it passing through, but you, we could tell that this place was very significant. Um, you know what well, did I you, think? Yeah, what was so significant was the uh, Forrest Gump reference. Yes, well, the Forrest Gump they kept the set. They kept the set. <laughs> <laughs> they kept where it. Forrest Gump ends his iconic run in uh, the film, also known as uh, Forrest Gump. Yes, he's uh, like, I think I'm gonna go home now. Oh God, maybe we shouldn't imitate. <laughs> hey, if Tom Hanks, Tom Tom Hanks did it, you know Tom Jan Hanks did I. it. <laughs> I thought he was from like South London or something. <laughs> Oh, he wasn't? Well, oh, no. <laughs> either way, where he finished his run was Monument Valley, and we stopped at the direct spot where right. Forrest Gump finished his run in the movie, and yes. 
That, of course, will be one of our photos that we put up in our photo dump for the episode, Mm -hmm. which you can find at Road Boys Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And then, of course, if I I have to mention, if if you want to send us questions, if you want to send us inquiries, concerns, death threats, all of that, you email roadboyspodcast at gmail.com. You ought to. Now, I think I should just go into, I mean, Monument Valley, we were intending to stay there the night. Um, the thing with uh, that lo- that destination was that COVID has certainly ravaged that area, and a lot of what was there remained closed, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So we had to, we, we got out of the car, we took some pictures. Um, it was certainly an integral stop, you know, on the way uh, we were, you know, next week, we will cover the Grand Canyon. That was our ride to there. Um, but I think it's, it's important uh, to get into like why Monument Valley is that significant, why we'd even make it a stop, you know, for that amount of time that we were there. So, Absolutely. And I'd love for you to tell me. Yes. So... Here we go. Uh, Monument Valley is located on the Arizona state line, Arizona-Utah state line. So it's southeastern Utah and northeastern Arizona for reference as to where this place is. Uh, right on the border. Right on the border. Um, and it's an approximately 30,000-acre Navajo tribal park, uh, which lies within the boundaries of the Navajo Nation, which is a tribal land area retained by the Navajo tribe, which is massive. It's huge. It's bigger than some states. Um, it's, uh, it is what, what is like the biggest reservation land, uh, considers to be the biggest reservation land in the United States. I think it's probably bigger than both of our states. Yes, um, it is. It is. It is massive. Now, I'm not saying that you know that you, I'm, I'm. I'll get into this a bit later. I'm sure if you t- look at the land that they should have, it probably should be bigger. <laughs> but uh, well, <laughs> that thing called uh, Americans came and, along, and that goes for most uh, most Native American tribes with reservation land in the United States probably should be bigger um but it is it, it, it for what it is it's it's large um and monument valley it, it, it has an I- iconic and stunning arid and scorched landscape which is easily recognizable you know if you've ever watched any western films you know it's the quintessential image of the american west considered to be well, I didn't know we were going to be out west today. We are out west. Should we should we go more of a, a you know, a, a deep south type of accent or well, should I think we, we you should know, go to our go to our Southern Bell? I think we should go to Southern Bell. <laughs> oh, Southern Bell. Well, that's so nice. It's out there in the west. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's much I don't know. I couldn't detect an accent out in Arizona, to be honest with you. No, I didn't either. I think they're just like more Eastern Californians. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit. It's also like just a very touristy area because Grand Canyon's right around there. Right. There's a lot so. to see. But, you know, in regard, you know, to the monuments themselves, uh, when you think 
of Monument Valley, your mind doesn't just go to like flat, you know, cactus laden land. No, you think of what are the monuments, the rock formations uh, that dramatically, you know, they jut into the desert sky. These things were just in the middle of nowhere. These huge rock formations. We saw them. Yeah. Love thinking about rocks. I love it. They're minerals, Jacob. They're minerals. <laughs> Damn it, they're minerals, Jeremy. Um, so, geologically speaking, these monuments, they consist of a series of buttes, uh, mesas, and monoliths. We had some experience with uh, mesas and buttes in our previous stops. But these were orange. They were, they were, they were desert-themed. <laughs> Yay, desert-themed rocks. <laughs> yes. And like Arches and Canyonlands a couple weeks ago, I mean, I do think it's worth mentioning uh, Monument Valley's geological history for just a moment. I didn't put too much work into this. Just oh, a no. moment. You're going to – because this place is really is really quite something, and it's a shame that we didn't get to go further into it because there was more to see. Um, but I'll just say this. Monument Valley – uh, sits atop the Colorado Plateau, and much of what one can see today in the region is, of course, due to erosion, and the strongest rocks survive. Uh, and the rocks, for, rock formations, for example, that exist today typically have three principal layers that, of rock that have weathered the effects of erosion for over 270 million years, and before then, it was an ocean. I there love a go. layered performance. Yes, um... It, it, they really are offering you some, you know, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. I'm missing the charisma, uniqueness, nerve, charisma, and talent. uniqueness, nerve, and talent. Each one of them. And as for the iconic red slash, you know, orangey color from everything to just the desert floor to the buttes, the mesas, the monoliths, what have you, you can thank iron oxide exposed, uh, exposed by weathered siltstone, which is apparently in everything uh, in that region. So. Uh, yes, everything bitch. Has, Iron is. oxide realness. <laughs> it's giving us looks. It's giving us layers. It's giving us everything we want from it. It's a layered Work, performance. Bitch. It's a layered yes. performance. Yeah. Um, so that's all I have actually for the geological history. And oh, I'm going to go into the humans. God. That was that was that was uh, brief. I know it was it was brief because you know it just gives you an idea as to just imagine it as a big sea. It was a big, you know, it was a big ocean millions and millions of years ago. And not long after, but a very long time after, human came, humans came a lot around to the area. Um, and in the years 12,000 to 6,000 BCE, uh, Ice Age Paleo-Indian hunters apparently settled there. So you get your first humans um, a long time ago. Uh, were they on the Paleo diet? They were on the Ice Age diet. Oh, okay. <laughs> they had woolly mammoths. Yes. Mm. And then from 6000 BCE uh, and then on to uh, 1 CE, uh, they were followed by archaic hunter-gatherers. Uh, these people were our ancestral Puebloans, I think, you know, as I mentioned, our ancestors. Our good old friends, the ancestral Puebloans, come on through. Yes, our our ancestors, we were related. Um, and then from then on, up until like 1300 and then beyond, of course, you get the Anasazi farmers. And in between, uh, you get the makings of what is known as the Navajo tribe, which have very historic, uh, you know, very historic roots in that area. 
Sure. What was the name of those people that, that you you said like it was like Onondaga, but Anasazi. Anasazi. Yeah, Anasazi. Anastasi Beverly Hills. Yes, Anasazi Farmers. They oh. produced farm. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of the cosmetic. Oh, I don't know anything about cosmed. Like what the winner of RuPaul's Drag Race Oh. A well, year supply of Anastasia Beverly Hills. Yeah, they probably were growing maize. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, as for uh, white people, uh, there is very little evidence, actually, to suggest that there, sp- that there were either Spanish explorers or anyone else uh, to stumble upon the area, even during the 17th and 18th centuries. So, whoever was there was chilling. If you're in the tribe, you were just chilling out there for a while. Uh, instead, the first non-native presence in the land came in the form of a Mexi- troop of Mexican soldiers who went on a series of raids in the region in the 1800s. So we're getting pretty close to the present day. Oh, okay. 1800s. Yeah, that was only 200 years ago. Yes, yes. Not not bad at all. Um, and then in the late 1840s, the first Americans laid their eyes upon the region and they fucking hated it. They hated everything they saw. <laughs> <laughs> they, they didn't see the, the, the potential in the area like, like we do or, or Hollywood does today. In fact, uh, I'll quote Captain John G. Walker's assessment of Monument Valley uh, when he said that the region was as desolate and repulsive looking a country as can be imagined. So, you know, first impressions were strong. Oh, how lovely. That's mm-hmm. that's a glowing review. It's a glowing review. It would Didn't honestly Didn't see that one on TripAdvisor. <laughs> it would shut the place down if it was on TripAdvisor or Yelp. I'm glad <laughs> that they didn't he just had a journal for that back then. Um yeah. Now, when we usually do our histories, and this is significant, I don't intentionally exclude anything from the histories when I go through the history of the week's destination, but this week I'm making an exception for if I told you what had happened in the 1860s in that region, I would spoil the topic of the dark history. So, oh my God, save that in your mind for right now. Well, now you've really teased it. I'm, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm I'll, so curious. I'll get to it in a second, but just save that we're skipping over the 1860s, which are significant in your mind, and I'll get back to them in a second, but just know that it's uh, it's pretty dark, uh, depressing, and uh, dark if I haven't mentioned I'm that. I'm thinking like Civil War realness. Yeah, yeah. Lots of things you're, going on. You're getting there. You're getting there. So any, and in any case, I'll jump a little bit to the 1920s, and by then, there is still a sizable Navajo presence in the area, so we're, we're past. We're past the darkness. Um, okay. We're in the 1920s, uh, we're in the Roaring Twenties, ro- exactly. And in fact, in the year 1923, uh, Navajo leaders established a tribal government for the region, and in doing so, they formed what is known today as the Navajo Nation. As I'm, as we mentioned, that's where this park is uh, located. Um, Love the Navajo Nation. Yes, big fans. And it is, as I mentioned, the largest area retained by an indigenous tribe in the United States. And its boundaries actually lie within three states, Arizona, Utah, and New Mexico. So they cross state lines. Um, It's all over the place. It's so versatile. mm -hmm. Exactly. It's very versatile. It covers all terrains. Um, After a couple of decades, and this is just a a cool little note in regard to pop culture, as we've already mentioned, uh, 
by the 1920s, there was a family by the name of Goulding there. They opened up a trading post uh, in the area, and soon it became the hub of commerce for that region. Um, I think we even saw signs for Goulding's. Um, for Goulding's? Goulding's, yes. Uh, it is today actually one of the like two places you can potentially stay if you visit Monument Valley. There's Goulding's like Hotel, and then there's one that's run by the Navajo Nation, which I think is like bounds better location-wise. Um, and and you, those are your two options. But Goulding's has been in the area for a long time, and after a couple decades working in the region – uh, the main Goulding, he traveled to Hollywood with a, just a bunch of photographs from where he lived in Monument Valley in hand. And he landed a meeting with some producers and he was like, you guys should make movies here because it's really cool. And then all of a sudden, the depiction of American West in film was Monument Valley. So that's how oh, he get. Well, there you go. That's how the you get Goulding's. all those things. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it sounds like they need to be in our ad space. Yeah, I think that goodings should be in our ad space maybe they'll get us into hollywood goldings go on get you some yes <laughs> um and he definitely got himself some because i'm sure that he made money out of off of this lucrative deal to basically have MGM and John Wayne set up shop in his backyard. Um, oh, so we're gonna be talking about John, John Wayne. Wayne. Yes, we're gonna be talking about John Wayne. We're gonna be talking about True Grit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so not True Grit, but there are countless films, TV shows, video games, even, and ads that feature the famous sites in Monument Valley and uh, and of course, as we mentioned in the 1994 film Forrest Gump, you know, he's out there running and he's like, I got to go home. All mm-hmm. I got from that is that True Grit is the only film that's ever been filmed in Monument Valley. Yeah, if you look up True Grit, the, even the one with Haley Baldwin in it, it's all filmed in Monument Valley. Mm-hmm. Was Haley Baldwin the star of True Grit? Yes, in 2009, the one with uh, who's the one that's dying from lymphoma right now? Oh um, my god! <laughs> well, way to take it there. <laughs> well, I, that's the only way I can. <laughs> the only way I can think of it. Who is he? Who is he? <laughs> Michael? No, right. no, 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 no. He has tumors in his neck. Um, <laughs> oh my! <laughs> Are you kidding? He's a is man. This, what this episode has come to. He's a man. Uh, he's been in a lot of other things, and he has a groveling voice. And uh, Big Lebowski, that was him. Yeah, we'll put it in the in in, in our social media. We'll we'll post this and ask it. Great, we'll, pose we'll, it as we'll a question. talk all about lymphoma all over uh-huh. our social media. Um, Jesus, and so that so he he was in that too. Anyway, the last part of this history is that in 1958. The Navajo Tribe Council formally established Monument Valley as the tribal park we know and love today. So Monument Valley established 1958. Uh, And yearly, besides from this year, of course, uh, the region generally sees 350,000 visitors and a lot of money is made for the Navajo Nation via tourism. And that's the history of Monument Valley for the most part. Well, too bad this year happened. Yeah, um... That was something I got. It wasn't it a little bit. I mean, it's beautiful landscape. That's for sure. Wasn't it a little bit eerie driving through there? Well, they didn't want us there. Oh, they certainly didn't. And I mean, it was on our it was on. And I can respect that fully. 
um obviously didn't go near anyone or you know went into any place we were just outside if we were right outside a sledge if we stopped um but they've been having terrible trouble with the virus especially with how remote they are and and blatantly speaking how economically depressed that area is to a certain extent yeah, it's kind of terrible. I mean, America really fucked them a little bit. Uh, yeah. And that's really the biggest theme I got through the whole trip was seeing how run down these reservations were. And it's horribly depressing and so not right. Right. And that's the way it is. But the COVID outbreak there was horrendous. I'm sure it's still horrible now, but uh, it was horrendous over the summer, which is when we were there. Um, mm-hmm. So we just ended up basically driving through. I mean, we saw the monuments and all that stuff and stopped at the Forrest Gump place, Mm -hmm. but we did not stick around. No. And if you wanted to like get some of the, you know, the shots of the, of the mittens of these big monolith, they look like mittens. They're called, they're referred to as the mittens. That is, those shots are mainly taken from the, from the resort slash hotel, uh, that is in the area. It's called The View. It's run by the Navajo tribe. Um, and you couldn't go up the road to get to there because it was blocked off. And I could, yeah, you know. Although we did see the, we saw the. the we saw mittens. one of them. Yeah, we did see, we did see at least one of those mittens, big guys. Well, all, all three of them were in view. We, yes. We did see them. Yes. Um, and those are, again, there's, those are striking. Just coming straight up from the landscape feels like you're not on this planet. Um, we didn't see him from head on, but you could see him from the road. And hopefully, uh, if this, if you're listening to this and you want to make it, put a, take a trip out there, hopefully sometime within the next year, they'll reopen everything. They'll reopen the park and you can see it, you know, and go into it. Uh, yeah, I'd say it's worth a stop back. Definitely. When things are better. Yes. Um, truly magnificent. And even though, you know, how terribly, uh, they've been treated by the U.S. government. It's great to see, like, you know, the culture that they have persists. Um, and, you know, a lot of stuff there is run by the Navajo tribe. And you can get tours of the of, of their place. And they just know it very, very well, that whole land. It's uh, it's like it has a spiritual essence to it. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Definitely recommend it. I also will mention it was like 100 and something degrees. Yeah, we definitely saw it. F- hottest time you could potentially go um so you just gotta bear that in mind if you go in at any point in like late june early july always gotta you know be careful about the weather but um by the way i do want to mention if you're thinking around the holiday season of donating to any charities i would be remiss if i didn't say you should look into charities supporting the native population yeah yeah you could tell you, you they it's it's certainly a source that would welcome any sort of donation i uh, mean we talked about this m- when we were in new mexico in tahajali um and how they don't even have clean water on the reservation uh like things like that obviously literal life essentials if you're looking to do something charitable this year Look into the native populations, please. Yeah, yeah, that's that's certainly, um, certainly a place that could that would that that needs help and would be appreciative of any sort of assistance they get. So, um, yeah. so without further ado, I think 
uh, we kind of we've been touching upon this a lot, and I hinted towards it. Um, I could not make it through the episode without going into at least some detail as to how the United States government has infamously fucked with not only the Native Americans, but more specifically the Navajo Nation. So is this our dark history? This is the dark history. (laughs) Okay. All right. It's time for the dark history of the week. Yes. Yes. So the Navajo Nation is no exception from just how the ways, there's many ways in which the American government has decided to screw with the native population of this country. Uh, And yes, today's dark history will cover the, what is known as the long walk of the Navajo or otherwise known as the long walk to Bosque Redondo. Are we oh. talking about like Trail of Tears of Joy type realness? Yeah, we we are. It's like their own. It's like their own version of it. Oh, the, interesting. Okay, it, it's a second. It's like a. It's like a second Trail of Tears that isn't You're a part like of the, the original trail one. Trail of Tears. Well, <laughs> do we got news for you? <laughs> this is like this is like another version of it, and it happened. It was solely for the Navajo Nation for the most part. Oh, it sounds like this is one's going to be a great uplifter. It's going to be great uplifter. Uh, Our dark your... histories, can I sidebar, have <laughs> have gotten very dark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Last week we had that brutal rape and then <laughs> the I mean week... what are you signing up for? It's going to be terrible. <laughs> I mean, what are we doing here? This is just the way to go. Yes. Uh, some might call it the real deal. It certainly is. This, if anything, this is the real deal of like terrible and dark. So I think I really did find a good st- a, 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 a story that meets the description of this podcast. Well, we then I'm very segment. excited to add in yes. my humorous quibs mm, and jabs. You'll find many, <laughs> many, <laughs> you'll find a full of, of, uh, of opportunity then, I'm sure. Fantastic. Here I'm we go. Let's sure. do it. Yes. So, um, at, so this is, the, this, this mainly takes place in the 1860s. Um, so just with that in mind, uh, as was the case with native relations uh with native relations with the US government the navajo nation's relationship with the US government or the US army more specifically was one of distrust and disdain as well as empty promises um so from the 1840s to around the start of the 1860s early 1860s the uh there was a lot of shaky relations between uh the U.S. government and the Navajo tensions rising. Um, in the 1860s, of course, white Americans began set- settling in and around Navajo lands, uh, and not surprisingly, this would lead to conflict and bloodshed as the Navajo people fought to defend their land against white settlers who day by day were encroaching further and further into Navajo territory. It's a classic, unfortunate tale. Uh. Um, and I actually think it was happening. This was, this process was happening before the 1860s, but it simply just got worse, um, on the onset. So after the army apparently stole and essentially held Navajo livestock captive at Fort Defiance, which is in that area used to be in Northeastern Arizona, Navajo chiefs Manuelito and Barboncito, attacked and almost took control of the fort along with not with a thousand Navajo warriors. So this is a significant, you know, 
moment in regard to aggression between either side, violence taken. Um, this is happening in the early 1860s. All right, so you're setting up. This is this is conflict. There's there's conflict and, and temp, tempers are running high, uh, and rightfully so, at least on on the Navajo on Navajo side of things. Yeah, Americans so, don't have shit to to, <laughs> to be conflicting about. Yeah, completely, exactly. Um, so in the aftermath of this event or this or this or this skirmish, multiple truces and treaties were signed, promising the Navajo Nation protection under the U.S. under U.S. law. But alas, such treaties and truces were meaningless as the army was still allowed still allowed other Native American tribes and Mexicans to not only continue to steal Navajo livestock, worse, they allowed them to keep continue continue to even force Navajo tribe members into slavery. They allowed them to keep doing that. I oh, guess man. They could I guess they could do that in the first place or, or like, yeah, you, know, you won't get taken into slavery, but we don't care if it actually happens or not. Oh, um, that's rough. That, yes. So it's sort of that's like goes from like hypothetically like zero, like they're stealing our livestock to like a thousand uh, with stealing people into slavery. And it was all allowed. Uh, they didn't care. Um, so. If it isn't apparent from just that, that the army was allowing multiple parties to literally kidnap and force Navajo tribe members into slavery, uh, the U.S. Army's dealings in that region with the Navajo tribe can be characterized as both belligerent and reckless. Um, so from what I read in regarding to in regard to my research if you were stationed as a u.s soldier in navajo tribal land uh during that time you could just pretty do you could pretty much do whatever the hell you wanted to these people um and you wouldn't get in trouble um well <laughs> i'm trying to think of any way that could be spun and there isn't that where's is the positive horrendous. spin jacob where's the positive spin well let's talk about iran because okay. the same exact thing <laughs> <laughs> At least this type of thing has happened on Earth before. Nope, that doesn't work either. No. <laughs> um, so, in 1861, this is just a, like a prime example of this, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Manuel Antonio Chavez of the New Mexico Volunteer Militia took command of a, car of a garrison at Fort Fontelroy, which is in western New Mexico, so in Navajo tribal land, and by September of 1861, Chavez had become known for his negligent and even lax discipline. More specifically, he, he stood accused of holding back supplies uh, vital for 1,000 or more Navajos that lived close to the forts. They were starving, and his oh. fort, fort had the supplies, and he wouldn't be like, yeah, they don't need it. <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. You know, yes, this, this is uh, we're really sh gonna shit on the United States today. Is what I'm is what I'm hearing here. Yep, certainly it gets worse. <laughs> it gets so. Oh much my worse. god, the White House press secretary must have been quaking. <laughs> I don't know. Back then, back then, I with a war to fight. I don't even know if people. I think that you know this is the thing about this story is that I feel like. This is barely known. Like, not many people know. I mean, people have heard of the Trail of Tears, but in this specific case, not much is known or, you know, people care to know about what happened with the Navajo Nation during the years of the Civil War, which are, you know, significant on for other reasons. So, well, then I'm glad you're bringing it up because yeah, it sounds important. It, 
I think it is. I think more people need to know about this. And I haven't even got to like why it's called the long walk. So we're going to get there. But this is all just tensions rising up until then and what gets yeah. us to that point. So yeah. um, so, uh, so I mentioned that Chavez, this guy who was manning this fort, he, he, he just was awful. He was holding back these supplies and was just negligent uh, and didn't care much about the rule of law. Um, so on September 10th, Chavez, along with his soldiers at the fort, held a series of horse races, which lasted three days. So it's September 10th, 1861. Why is this significant? Well, well it sounds delightful. I mean, uh, horse races in the desert and and at a fort, you know, and all the dust. It sounds great. It sounds dry. The queen was there. The queen I mean. was there. The queen, <laughs> the queen arrived. She was there. Um, so... Everyone apparently held a stake in these horse races. Uh, everyone from the soldiers to Chavez to even the Nav- nearby Navajo tribe members that were right by this uh, right by this fort, they took part in um, in placing bets. They knew that a lot of these soldiers they were just there as well. And after a dispute broke out concerning the winner of one of these horse races, a shot rang out, which led to the led to like a full on firefight between two hundred well armed Navajo warriors and soldiers in Chavez's garrison. So they are literally shooting each other now. Oh um, my god, that, that sounds like a major conflict. Why haven't I heard of this? Yeah, like literally. I mean, about I think I think twelve or thirteen people died during that. So um, it, it was. I guess they all everyone ran back to their respective sides, but um, you could tell like. Someone gets drunk at one of these events and, and, you know, and fighting, killing and violence can break out on a scale that's like warfare, you know, warfare scale. Um, so after the violent skirmish, uh, General Edward Camby ordered a full report from Chavez and Chavez is like, I don't want to tell you anything about what happened. I, I don't care. As to, I don't oh. care about any of this. Um, so in the end, American military leadership in the area changed, uh, planting the seeds of what was to come for the Navajo tribe heading into the mid 1860s. So this guy Chavez has been deposed and now we have new people. But as a side note, when Chavez took leave of his command at the fort, he also left with 400 militia members and basically formed a gang that operated outside the outside the law and he would continue to ransack Navajo land without federal authority. What is this West Side Story? Are you it, kidding? Are we in, in the Heights right now? Yeah, they're literally we're we're literally in 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 like the lawless West. This is why they call it that. I imagine part of the reason. Oh my god. Um. So, the now this guy's sort of out of the picture. I mean, he's doing awful stuff, but military, American military wise, he's out. So sounds like a bad episode of Peaky Blinders. Yeah, it's like a like one of the ones where there's a full on gang war. And it's like, how did I not hear about this? It's the same sort of thing. <laughs> Great. Um, so now the effects of the Civil War came upon the region, and for a short bit of time, the army's attention focused, of course, solely on the nearby Confederate presence in the region and not the Navajo tribe. Um, that was 1861. Guess how okay. you, you want to venture to guess how long they had to worry about the Confederate presence in the area? <laughs> um, Probably like four days. Five yeah, like days. four days. I think like matter of Did months. Did I nail it? 
No, it wasn't four days, but it was like a matter of months and they had already pushed the Confederates down the Rio Grande. So they weren't, they weren't an issue anymore. Completely were a non-factor. And you would think that even then they would still give the Navajo nation a break. They're fighting union armies, fighting this huge war, um, it's historic war. And that you think that they would just give it a break, but no, (laughs) you'd be wrong. In fact, Mm mm-hmm. So there was a new prerogative uh, in that in that area, and the prerogative was to force all the Navajos to move into an encampment near the village of Cubero, which I believe is in New Mexico, where they would receive governmental protection, which I'm air quoting, uh, and anyone who refused to comply would be considered an enemy. So forced relocation is basically the new way of the land. Interesting. It's uh, almost like every other forced yeah. relocation. Exactly. Exactly. And as I mentioned, with this Chavez guy who was deposed, there was a, a new set of uh, of military leaders in the area, and there's a couple people that are significant. Uh, the first being James H. Carlton, the commander of the New Mexico Military Department, and Colonel Christopher Kit Carson. And he was a famous frontiersman. He was also a U.S. Army Brigadier General. And also, Kit Carson, I'm very familiar with you're, Kit you're, Carson. You're familiar with Kit Carson? He was Absolutely. Also, he was also, I, I, I'm not too, I wasn't too familiar. I was like, who's this guy? And I was like, oh, he's the Carson of Carson City, Nevada. Yeah. The capital. Absolutely. Of Nevada. Um, so now they've entered well, the game. Debatable. The capital of Nevada. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're still having this argument. <laughs> Jeremy and I had a big argument about this, uh, about what city is the capital of Nevada. I argue it is Las Vegas in essence. I mean, it's the ca- I mean, it, it sort it's the cultural capital. Well, um, what is in Carson City, Jeremy? Tell me what's in Carson City. The State House. <laughs> That's what's in there. <laughs> but who cares? And the governor's residence. And and it was in an episode of Veep. <laughs> if you're gonna tell me that I, I have to live in Nevada, wouldn't you be living in Las Vegas? Yes. But if you were living in Kentucky, wouldn't you be living in either Lexington or Louisville? And yet it's in Frankfurt. So there you I go. See that one, I also don't believe, but we, <laughs> we, <laughs> we can mean, argue about that some other time. I mean, yes. So, I mean, so he's the Carson of Carson City, Nevada. May or may not be the capital. Who knows? It's a town in Nevada. Um, but they enter the scene, and Carlton uh, in 1863 gave Carson the orders to receive a formal surrender from the Navajo tribe on July 20th, and when Carson and sorry, and when Carson tried to receive this formal surrender, it's like fine, we'll go where you want us to go from the Navajo Nation. He was effectively stood up, so no one showed up. No one's like, fuck no, we're not going. Um, so things began to get a bit more serious in regards mm. to the, how they would want to enforce this. Of course, um, great. So yes, so, so without a formal surrender, without a formal surrender. The army took a scorched earth approach and they intended and successfully starved out the Navajo from their homeland to force them to relocate. So withholding supplies, burning fields, um, cutting off water. Yeah, a siege um, to basically to make basically force them to comply. Um, 
And when the remaining Navajo surrendered to U.S. forces, thus began what would be known as the Long Walk to the Bosque Redondo Reservation, which despite having the words reservation in its name, functioned as an internment camp, and soldiers there were stationed to ensure that the Navajo could not leave. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Spin it positive, Jacob. Got to spin it positive. <laughs> well, uh, they they wanted to be there, and it was really really fun for them, and they got to do arts and crafts. Yes, um, <laughs> and we'll cut that audio out to, uh, to and and put it up as the ad for the today's episode. <laughs> oh no! Can I quote you on that? Anyway, <laughs> um. So yeah, no, of course. Everything aside, horrendous. Exactly. So now this long walk was truly long, as I say about some things. They don't mince their words when they call it long, as the army forced the newly surrendered Navajo to walk 250 to 450 miles east from western Arizona. Yes, to western Arizona to eastern New Mexico. And at that point, I looked at the map. You're really not that far from the border of Texas. And that is all desert. All desert, extremely harsh climate. I mean, not even depending on when you walk. I mean, it's it's like only degrees of horribleness if it's oh, in the summer. Oh, that is terrible. Yeah, yeah. So you can imagine. I mean, there apparently were multiple routes on this. It would be 250 if you started, if like you were found to be in a certain part of Arizona or New Mexico. It's 450 for like the people that were found found furthest apart. So, could you imagine walking that that far just against your will? It's awful. I can't imagine walking that far in my will. Right. Exactly. So you can you can only it's just it's just hard to imagine. So. You know, I don't know if if you if you're thinking about this. I sort of my mind went to this when I, when I was reading about the long walk. I it made me think of the Holocaust death marches. I don't know if you if you would. So the well, I'm going more towards Trail of Tears. But. Well, yes, I mean that's that is the closest uh, we can get as well, especially U.S. wise. Um, but I'll, I'll give you a reason why it reminded me of it. So here's a testimony from John Da. Uh, he did this and he gave his testimony in 1951 to uh, I actually I, I be- yes it was it was a committee that was actually inve- a U.S. Uh, congressional committee that was investigating what what happened and he uh, his parents grandparents and close relatives were actually subjected to the long walk so he lived to tell what they experienced and wow. this is what he said. This is what he said. So he said, these soldiers do not have any regard for the women folk. They took unto themselves for wives somebody else's wife. And many times the Navajo man whose wife was being taken tried to ward off the soldiers. But immediately he was shot and killed and they took his wife. So he's implying a lot of things there. That they're that they're killing these people and also forcefully probably and also raping a lot of these women along the way. Um, so just really, really awful. Um, well, that's what you get with straight men, Jeremy. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. Um, so, uh, so that was what that walk was like. Uh, it, it gives just a depiction of that, you know. Probably so the same thing. It was a thing. vacation. It sure. was so. Yeah, spin it positive. Vac- vacation. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so I'll give you numbers wise what happened. So at numbers oh. wise. At least 200 died during what would usually be an 18-day trek 
through rugged arid terrain, and between 8,000 to 9,000 Navajo in total uh, ended up settling in the Bosque Redondo, which was 40 square miles of space. And once the Navajo completed the long, long walk, the U.S. did not intend to stop tormenting their lives. Um, it was apparently awful in the in in that in that reservation that basically functioned as an internment camp. I can't imagine it was anything but awful. Um, in fact, if you if you like my first quote, I have another um, I have another little tidbit as to what went on in that camp once you were oh, there. No. <laughs> so this is what James Carlton said. Now, now apparently there was a lot of a lot of fighting for resources, um, but of course, what the U.S. government wanted them to do, just like all of the reg- other tribes, uh, native tribes in, in the country, was to assimilate. And this is what John Carlton uh, sort of saw for the reservation. So what he did said, he see? if the army placed the Navajo on a reservation far from the haunts and hills and hiding places of their country, they would acquire new habits, new ideas, new modes of life. Civilizing the Navajo could be best achieved through their children. The young ones will take their places without these longings, and thus, little by little, they will become a happy, contented people. Which is pretty oh. twisted. Yeah, um, I love when when Americans just claim that, like, writ of superiority, you know? Exactly. They just think that they know exactly. what's better, what's the right way to live. You know, that's also a very Christian thing, but we don't have to go into that. But Yeah, yeah. It At literally least... is, is so fucking terrible. Like, who are you to tell a population what is correct and what's not right sort of like manifest destiny like we were all, like american exceptionalism like we are the best nation we have if you don't live like us then then what are you doing here oh, that's the way to go disgusting it's not so, the way to go it's the opposite of the way the to go it's the it's go. the way to not go exactly um so so i did, we're coming to the end of the story it ends okay. it ends uh it ends you know more positively than negatively. Oh, here we go. The positive spin. Give it to positive us. Positive spin. Okay. So by 1868, well, it takes a second. By 1868, oh. conditions at Bosque Redondo det- deteriorated so badly that the U.S. government gave up on the quote-unquote experiment. Um, so on June 1st, the Treaty of Bosque Redondo was signed between the U.S. and Navajo leaders, which established a true reservation for the Navajo, protections against raiding, and the establishment of an agency that would eventually become the Navajo Nation's government. So they do have like their own sort of sovereignty uh, today. Oh, God forbid they would have their own land. I know, their own land. Um, but of course, still falls on the, under the privy in, in control of the U.S. It's not like they have their own country or uh, own state or own county even. They do have their right. own county. But like, you know, they have some form of like organization and government. So right. – Unfortunately, though, of course, the treaty contained many pitfalls, though, and including uh, compulsory education programs for children. So you would have to send your child away for 10 years uh, to go learn at like a American assimilation school. <laughs> oh, man. Mm-hmm. They just mm-hmm. can't ever get it right, can they? Nope. Um, well, they would have if they made a treaty that was anything but, um, you know, Ba- had these types of things in it it just wouldn't i wouldn't believe it it wouldn't be an american treaty for against no. you know it, it, every single one of these had these types right. of deal breakers in there um but importantly though the treaty allowed the navajo to take 
the long walk home. So they were <laughs> able, that's, that's actually what it's referred to the long walk home. Um, so the once scattered Navajo nation walked in unison back to their tribal land and the event, apparently this whole, one by like you know but one uh present forced moving back to the land that they you know had always lived in apparently contributed to the tribe's cohesiveness and unity moving forward year to, you know in the years to come so they have their own government now they used to be scattered now they're the tribe is much more unified than it was before unfortunately okay it was through trauma through incredible trauma but but that's uh that's at least one positive spin and positive you know well that's um, how a culture tends to develop right you know yeah exactly so all in all through shared suffering through shared suffering that's exactly right um so another numbers thing for you all in all the events of the 1860s produced what is known as a genetic bottleneck for the Navajo as the number of Navajo tribe members of reproductive age heavily diminished from 25,000 to 2,000. So not only did the Navajo nation suffer just a massive blow in regard to population, those born into the Navajo tribe would be more likely to develop rare genetic diseases. So these diseases run more frequently if you're born into the navajo tribe even to this day man well that was a positive spin um but they're back i guess that's they're back in uh in northeastern arizona and utah uh and of course they have their own uh area that they have their own navajo nation and they have monument valley they established monument valley 1958 as i mentioned so they're back but of course they had to do so with this deal with this horrible trauma and that is what the long rock walk of Bosque Redondo is no one knows about it and that's what it is yeah I mean that was rough that that was a dark one yes um I figured that by the time we got to some of these places we I'd be able to find just some terrible type of history in fact when I was researching I sort of was looking more towards like oh like famous serial killer or like or like creepy ufo thing and then i was reading just the regular history of this place is like wait a second this is super super dark um and it yeah. deserves to be told so that's yeah right so that's that is um that is the story there and i think it might we i'd be remiss if didn't mention i would kind of reference this i too that the, these problems in these reservation territories they still persist today and just how Mm -hmm. badly uh they've been affected by the pandemic um and i actually i was actually able to pull up some numbers because at a time uh they were the worst and they had the worst infection rates in the country now it's not the same anymore but when the at the onset of the pandemic this is what nbc news said um at least 1197 Navajo residents have tested positive for the coronavirus, all 44 died, and that was back in April. So those oh. are astronomical numbers for back then. Maybe they're regular today, unfortunately, but just to give you an idea. Yeah, that's terrible. Um, so that is that is still an ongoing problem. Um, yes. So, but, you Great. know, that's, that's, that's it. It's been a positive. It's been a positive. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, spinning it positive, let's go to our fan question of the week. Oh, I could definitely use a fan question. What you? What? Who? What? 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 What went on this week? Who sent what? Well, I combed the inboxes. Mm-hmm. I looked at the Gmail, which you can submit your fan questions to roadboyspodcast at gmail dot com. Yes. Uh, and what I found this week came from Bill Burr is canceled sixty four. Oh. Um, and Bill Burr is canceled sixty four asks. Is the world a better place with people in it or not in it? Whoa. Yeah. Whoa, Jacob. Big one. Whoa. Big one. Thank you to Bill Burr's Canceled 64. Um, do you want to take a stab at it? I mean, I. Uh, it's hard to say. <laughs> it's not that hard to say. I feel like. Well, you know, I, I, think, I think taking a stab at it, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> the world is a better place without people in it, 100%. I mean, yeah. look what we've done to the planet. We use it as our trash can. But, you know, spin it positive. Spin it positive. No <laughs> other animal can do this, except maybe beavers, but not like this. I don't know. I saw a really cute beaver the other day. They're just vibing. They just like pushing <laughs> things to the... to the. That was a direct uh, Dwight Schrute quote. Oh, it was. <laughs> <laughs> when they were at the landfill. Oh, you see, I can never... I can never handle, uh, I can never grasp office references. They just fly yeah, the right iconic, the iconic references. But, um, but yes, I think it's only us. I think we're singular in that. Um, the fact that we're just, we're just, you know, polluting the place left and right. We're blowing stuff up. We're causing wars. We're causing our own suffering. Um, so this is a Christmas peace message from Road Boys. <laughs> I think Jeremy and I do a great job of helping the planet. Um, yes. I think everyone else sucks. Everyone, we are the Green New Deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're the Green New Deal. We're the real deal. Yes. Um, that's what we always mean by that phrase. It's that we are the Green Deal. So, Green New Deal. Make it green. We're the real Green New Deal. So, uh so yeah, we're the only people that are making this cut in this place better. Um, yes. only ones, only ones. And that's our Christmas message to all of you listeners out there. <laughs> um, try to emulate us, try to emulate yeah. us. I mean, we, we just do great for the world. The world will be a marginally better place because of it. So that's, <laughs> that's it. Don't want to toot our own horns, but we're the only good people on the earth. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh thank you to Bill Burr's Cancelled Sixty Four for giving us a uh, an opportunity to really tap our egos a little bit. Yes, yes, yes. And maybe by next week Bill Burr will be cancelled. Who knows? Oh, we could only hope, right? Yes. We'll be, you know, we'll we'll be still here, uh in a couple states away from each other, but we'll be reporting on that if it happens. And also, uh next stop, Grand Canyon. Big one. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. we're we're going to be heading into the throes of Arizona. And yes, we're going to be seeing what's going to happen there. I can't wait. I'll I'm, be doing the research this week. Yes. Yes. I can't wait to see what you find. We already reported about someone who uh, pushed his wife into the canyon. You better top Bob that. Bob Spangler. Yes. You better, you better top Bob Spangler. I want someone who was pushed from a plane into the canyon. I wish I could top Bob Spangler, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got a serial killer fetish. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, to each his own.
But Andrew Cunanan. <laughs> Andrew Cunanan. <laughs> We're going to have to cut it off there. Okay. We've gotten too deep. <laughs> yes, we can cut it off right there. Road Boys, starring Jacob Velotti and Jeremy Shapiro as themselves. Produced by Jacob Velotti and Jeremy Shapiro. Directed by Jacob Velotti and Jeremy Shapiro. And created by Jacob Velotti and Jeremy Shapiro. Special thanks to Vlad Glashenko for recording the intro and outro music royalty-free. And Tina Perkins, that's me, for recording promotional content. To learn more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Road Boys Podcast.